0: morning everyone, good to see you, beautiful Lord's Day to be together, appreciate everyone that's tuned in uh, on the internet, and uh, let's open our Bibles back to John chapter 17, and we'll, we'll kind of pick up where we uh, left off last week, and uh, I'm going to try my best to uh, get to the end of the chapter. Uh, next week, I believe Brother Kyle Butt will be probably teaching the Sunday morning Bible class, as, as well as as speaking to us, so uh, we'll pick back up with chapter 18 with Brother Paul. Uh, I think week after next, assuming I get done, I'm gonna try my best. Uh, if you remember from our study last week, uh, we we mentioned how um, the Lord has left the upper room along with the apostles, and and uh, they're making their way. Uh, toward the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's a lot of discourse and a lot of teaching that's taking place, and then we come to chapter 17, and uh, I would expect that the Lord pauses uh, into some sort of prayer posture. Uh, doesn't tell us what he did, but I would think he pauses and and um, uh, uh, prays. And we we spoke last week about how rather than uh, the prayer in Matthew chapter 6 being called the Lord's prayer that to me, this is the Lord's prayer, uh, uh, because of the depth of it and the uh, the content of it, and one that we ought to focus on as opposed so much to the other one that the uh, secular world likes to likes to repeat so mechanically uh, out of, out of Matthew chapter six. So we had gotten down to uh, about verse six, and uh, I'll, I'll read verse six right quick. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I manifested your name. Uh, and Jesus did this by, uh, uh, by referring all honor and glory to God. We talked about that last week, you know, and how, how that ought to be part of the content of our prayer, is, is to, to praise and honor and glory God. And, and, of course, Jesus did that throughout his entire ministry, no doubt. Uh, And and he was careful. He was careful to explain uh, uh, that the words that he spoke and and the miracles that he did and the teachings he gave were from the Father. They were the fathers. And then he said, And they kept thy word, speaking again of the apostles, keeping thy word or keeping the word of God in the sense of believing it and obeying it uh, uh, was the means by which uh, the apostles had... Had, if you will, become his, uh, and and we're we're continuing in that 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 very blessed uh, relationship that 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 uh, you know we're kind of focused on here. Um, and, and could there be any other means to exist that that would enable men to to be Christ's disciples than than exactly what we're talking about here. And 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 then Jesus turns his attention to his disciples. We spoke about this last week, and I meant to touch on that before I started this morning. And that is that um, the the prayer is kind of divided into three sections. The first section is is Jesus praying to the Father, and then this section that we're focusing on here is Jesus praying for his his disciples. So he turns his attention to his to his disciples and. And, and look at how he regards them. He regards them as gifts. That's how he regards them to the Father. And, 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 he, and he testifies about their worthiness. And that speaks so much of them. These, these are the basis or the grounds for which the prayer is being, being offered here on, on, on behalf of the, the apostles. And so they, they had divine approval from Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, they have kept my word. And of course, that's with the exception of Judas. Uh, he, he was given in the same way. He, he was on the same status as, as the others were, but he didn't keep the Father's Word, did he? So let's look on to verses 7 and 8. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And so, here the apostles are; they're 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 beginning to realize the mission that that you know that uh, of Jesus. And 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 I think that they were beginning to understand more clearly um, the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Verse seven uh, speaks of the source of the revelation made through the Son, and it's it's kind of a a summation of of the preceding thought that we were we were on, and it shows that that Christ came and his, He had a mission, and that mission was to reveal God and and His work and His love and His power and His teaching, and and it is, if you will, kind of the identification of Christ with God Himself. That's what's really all important here, and 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 ought to be our focus here. In verse eight, there. Their response and their acceptance were demonstrated by uh, their belief. He, he says, "I gave unto them." Uh, in, in other words, he made the apostles kind of the uh, custodians of this sacred revelation from God, uh, and and he endowed them, uh, or it, it it endowed the New Testament. Uh, with divine authority by determining that it was God's will for all of mankind. And it says, And they believe that thou didst send me. And so uh, the the key, I think, there in that, that phrase of that verse is, is that it's past tense. Um, it's kind of prophetic uh, and, and it refers to the uh, the ultimate uh, fidelity of the apostles to to the divine commission that they were going to be charged with, uh, um, perhaps maybe with the exception of this short period of time that's right upon them, as as Jesus is betrayed and and taken into custody and, and the apostles essentially scatter at that point. So there was a short period of time there where where maybe that wasn't the case uh, as Jesus was. Uh, uh, tried and crucified and, and died on the cross. Verses 9 and 10 read, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, and they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And so in this this part of, of uh, Jesus' prayer, he, he's limiting this part of His prayer to these disciples. Uh, and, and later, as we'll talk about, as we'll get along here this morning in verse 20, uh, he, 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 he prays for all disciples, all, all unbelievers. Uh, but at this time, He's, he's limiting it to these, these faithful apostles, these faithful disciples. And, and He was glorified in His disciples for the very reason that we've been talking about that they accepted his mission uh, and they believed it and they believed that he was the son of God that 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 he came from the father and so in a similar fashion today uh, we glorify the father as well through our faithful response to his will and uh, to the obedience as as he set out his will in in His Word. You and I do that. Jesus also said there, um, I pray not for the world. And so this shift back to the present tense, he was in the past tense, now he's to the present tense, denotes that at the time, or maybe at that time, Christ was not praying for the world, but for His apostles, His disciples here. And he says, for they are thine. And and so the apostles were not merely Christ's uh, possessive any longer, but they were God's chosen representatives to deliver the saving gospel to mankind. They were the, if you will, the, the channel or the avenue through which the gospel uh, was going to be recorded and, and uh, the church was going to be established. And so uh, certainly they merit uh, the prayer that Jesus uh, is praying here. It, it was kind of a new status with which they they probably didn't fully understand at that time, I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, but very shortly they're going to be endowed uh, and, and it required... This, this special prayer to be spoken on their behalf and, and, and not only to be spoken on their behalf but to be spoken in their presence so that they could hear it and you know, uh, reap the benefit from hearing it. Uh, particularly now as Jesus is praying the prayer but particularly later as they reflect back on, on the mission that they had uh, ahead of them. It in effect is that. It is the Great Commission, is it not? in effect, you know, what, what we're saying here in, and in the way that Jesus worded the prayer. In this part of the prayer, Jesus prayed not for the world, but for those men upon whom the salvation of the world depended upon. Verses 11 and 12 read this, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus prays that that they may be one, even as the Father are one in the Godhead, one in communion of the Godhead, one in aim, one in work, one in purpose. Um, and he, he, speak, he speaks of them, uh, or He speaks of, of being no more in the world, and, and of course what that's referring to is, is what's to come. Um, it, it refers to the fact that His physical absence after the resurrection and ascension and spiritually, the Lord, after that, continues with His disciples. Matthew 18, 20 tells us that. But physically, he's, he's, he's not going to be in the world. And then He says, and these are in the world. And that refers to the state of the apostles uh, after that, after Jesus ascends who would, who would continue on in the work. And not only continue on, but rather also be the the target, the object of Satan's bitterest hatred and opposition and force that, that he could have. Uh, Jesus' physical departure would would make them even more so the subject of Satan's onslaught uh, or his attack. And, and that would put them in even a more uh, precarious sort of situation or status. Uh, And so, I think these considerations that we're talking about are what prompted the wording of Jesus in this prayer on on their behalf. Notice he also says, Holy Father. And we've talked more, you know, in last week and and this week about glorifying God and and honoring God uh, in our prayer and and how Jesus, that was the first thing that he did when he started his prayer was to honor the Father. And, And... Holy Father is one of the three terms that is addressed or is an address directed to God uh, in, in the prayer that we're, we're looking at here in John 17. Uh, the other times being uh, Father uh, in, in uh, verses 1 and 4 uh, and in verse 11 and then in verse 25, O righteous Father, keep them in thy name. Keep them in thy name. There is, there's no way to avoid respect of the importance that's attached to the sacred name of Jesus Christ. And, and it's likely that, that, that this is a reference to that, to that compound title. We talked about that a little bit last week as well. Jesus Christ. That was introduced to us in verse 3. That they may be one. What is that? That's a plea for unity. Um, and, and of course, it's focused to the apostles, but it's an extension to us as well. It's applicable to you and I just as well as is it not. Total and complete undivided unity. You and I are responsible for that as, as Christians, to be unified. You know, I was thinking as, as I was collecting my thoughts uh, this morning and reviewing back over my lesson notes and things, you know, Look at what's happening in our country right now. Is that, you know, unity. That, that is one of the fiercest arrows that Satan fires at us, is disunity. And he's doing it right now. And he's doing it because we live in the greatest nation that's ever, ever existed. We have greatest, the greatest freedoms, liberty. We're able to, to meet this morning and not be molested and all. And if he can introduce disunity to us, and get get the majority not liking Christians, that's what he wants. He doesn't want a good United States. He doesn't want a successful United States. He's attacking this country, and he's doing it through disunity. Well, let me let me come back on track here. When and let's think of it in the context not of the country but of, of the church. When when it's applied to us. The, us as the disciples of the Lord. It is unity in all matters of, of doctrine and practice. That's, that's what I'm speaking of. And the Lord pleads for unity. And, and, and you know, division is, is taught to be sinful. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you speak, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no more there be no no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment that's a command you and I are responsible to obey it has nothing to do with denominationalism but but rather it applies to his people to Christians and 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 can there be any doubt that the Lord does not favor uh, division in any form or fashion? Now, having said that, denominationalism is, is wholly opposed to the unity that Jesus is praying for right here. Uh, enough said. I mean, I can't, I can't elaborate on that. How can, how can the denominational world not understand that? I don't know. But yet you look at them and they 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 what you see in the denominational world is them willing to tolerate one another and get along as opposed to to standing for, the, you know, for the word of God. And and he speaks of the name which thou hast given me and again that that kind of refers back to that title we were talking about. And then Jesus speaks of guarding them. So Jesus is coming to the end of his mission. He has accomplished the work that God gave him to do, uh, choosing, instructing, guarding, correcting, and encouraging these apostles, these twelve who are now eleven. And and he was then praying for them from the very bottom of his heart with all of his heart. And he's he's adding prophetically that, that not one of them would be lost with the exception of Judas. And, of course, Judas was lost. Verses 13 and 14. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So, in preparation for his death and, and going away, Jesus is making it clear to these apostles through this prayer that that as citizens of the kingdom, they are not citizens, uh, or, or they would not be of this world. And, and he speaks of his joy, my joy, the joy of the apostles, respecting the Savior, which would be one of consequences or one of the results of, of, of his res- res- resurrection. And, and he emphasizes this point in his prayer. Uh, When he said in verse 14, the world hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And again in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He speaks of the word I have given them. Um, And as he's using it here, it represents or it sums up all the Father delivered to the Son to give to the, the apostles, to the disciples. And the, the frequent use of the singular noun where the divine word is concerned I think is very significant. And I want to kind of talk about that just for a moment briefly here uh, as, we, as we move along. I know at a pretty good pace here. The, the Scripture, God's Word, consists of many words, of course. But the Word of God, nevertheless, is one. It, it's one in that it is the single composite of teaching that God offered to us. It's one in in its its authority and in its trustworthiness and in its saving it's It's capacity to save us it's one it, it's the one word that God delivered to Christ and then by Christ to the apostles and then by the apostles to to all of us all of mankind uh, by means of what they wrote down, which is the new testament that's his word and, and it's one word in the sense that No human teaching can be introduced into it or or added to it. Um, The one word in the the sense that every every word of it is of necessity or is a necessary part of it. Uh, It makes up the whole uh, and it's, it's making it imperative that it that it not be added to or or taken from from the teaching of God. And I I would refer you to Revelations 22, verses 18 through 19, where it tells us that very thing, that it's not to be added to. And of course, the proclamation of the Word would and did and continues today to arouse the hatred of the world. I just spoke of that a few moments ago. There are a lot of people in this country that hate Christians, that hate Christianity. Let me put it that way, and, and have become emboldened. And uh, um, we need to pray. We need to pray fervently. Uh, and in the regard I'm talking about, Jesus is praying for the apostles. The world hated them, and and, and I think Jesus's heart. We're speaking of how this prayer is coming from the whole heart of Jesus, from the bottom of his heart, as we might say from time to time. Uh, and I got to believe that and prophetically that his heart had to be moved by what he knew those apostles had ahead of them, that, that they were going to have bitter trials um, and it would fall, a, a great weight would fall upon their shoulders. Um, And and it wasn't going to be easy. And uh, I think the word to say the world hated them. That's prophetic. He he had warned them, but it was still a matter of of significant concern to Jesus as he as he pours his his heart out here here in in this prayer, verses fifteen and sixteen. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so Jesus, of course, is praying that they be kept from the evil one. Uh, Notice he didn't pray for them to be taken out of the world, but rather to be protected here while they're in the world, and, and so of course what, it, what it, the significance of that is is that it's going to be their mission to carry the work forward. Uh, and in this work, uh, being so close to the world, uh, they're going to first of all be subject to a lot of temptations and and and, he, and, he, and he's just praying that they be they they be kept from that influence be be kept from the influence of the devil uh verses seventeen eighteen and nineteen sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth uh, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, and they also may be sanctified by the truth and so Again, he's praying that they may be holy, be made holy, and, and that they would fulfill their mission. And, and he's praying that they be sanctified in truth. God's people are sanctified and consecrated and dedicated to His servants through obedience. Through obedience to the truth. And, and, and so they are kind of set aside exclusively or for exclusive service to God. And that that's what the that's what's meant by sanctified. They're set aside for exclusive service to God. Um, this truth has everything that is necessary for us. Um, it teaches us or enables us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the world that we're in. And we can do that. You know, it's not something we can't do. His word is truth because it is the sum of of our information regarding the will of God. Now, there's there's been some disagreement in the church as to uh, the operation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, for lack of a better word, um, are or are not the the Holy Spirit limited by the operation of the truth in the mind. I didn't word that very well, but maybe I got my thought out. And, and there's numerous passages regarding that. Um, and, and they seem to kind of limit the grace of God or limit it, maybe not limit it, but but rather measure it by the effect that's produced by understanding the divine truth. In other words, by studying God's Word and understanding the truth. Now, regarding alien sinners, I mean, uh, it's certain that that the only power capable of producing faith in them is the Word of God. I mean, we insist that, that the only power used to produce faith in the alien center is the Word of God. Uh, I, I would remind you of, you know, Brother Rob Whitaker back earlier in the year, and then, then Brother Don Blackwell as they spoke to us. And, you know, they, they gave us with great clarity uh, their explanations, and they gave us great examples to, to demonstrate that the power is in the Word of God. And we need to know that and understand that. And I'm not 100% sure that everybody in, in, in the church does, but, but regarding the work of the Spirit in the hearts of Christians, uh, I don't think this limitation that I'm kind of touching on seem, it doesn't seem to be so, so complete. The Spirit is not the Word, and it's not limited to the use of the written Word in in all that He does. Um, For instance, He he helps our weaknesses. He intercedes. Uh, The Spirit, in Romans 8.26, Paul wrote, "...the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we know not how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words." That was the King James Version. Let me read the new King James Version. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Jesus here, uh, coming back to, to John 17, clearly indicated that the divine truth would sanctify the apostles themselves. And and that was the ground. That was grounds enough for denying that. That the Holy Spirit sanctifies Christians in some manner different from that than what he is talking about here, what he's praying for. And and so, perhaps a, a part of the difficulty folks have lies uh, in the failure to recognize that that the word itself. Is or or recognize it as a living and abiding entity in the soul of the believer. Let me say that again. The difficulty might lie in the failure to recognize that the Word itself is a living and abiding entity in the soul of the believer. What does Colossians 3.16 start with? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's that's exactly equivalent to the Holy Spirit's indwelling. And, and, And many of the things said to be done by the Spirit are also said to be done by the Word of God. And we say it over and over again. You can't emphasize enough that as we mature as Christians to study, to grow, and study more, and to grow more. And, and I, I, we don't have time to hash out all the arguments here. I don't, and I personally don't feel I'm wise enough to do that or well-studied enough to do that. I do believe this, that the Holy Spirit never performs any kind of work in the human soul that is contrary to or out of harmony with the Scriptures. And how do we know the Scriptures? You know, And, and to draw you back to some, you know, what Brother Don Blackwell uh, in, in the sermon that, uh, where he talked about Blessed Assurance John, 1 John um, about how, how do we know we say? Because he wrote it down. It's in the Word. How do do we get what's in the Word? We we read, we study. We let the Word dwell in us. And in so doing, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Thy Word is truth. It's it's another way of saying the Bible is truth. The Scripture is truth. It it is uniquely the Word of God. And so, he's prayed for his disciples in three areas. that they that they be united in thought that they be united in action just like he was with his father and that that they be kept from from the world from the worldly influences and from from the power of satan that they also might be consecrated to a a life of of useful service and we we can you know the prayer is for the apostles but we can be assured that that He wants nothing less of you and I today. Um, just, Just as Christ delivered God's Word, the apostles were instructed to deliver it. Not their Word, but Christ's Word. And so, I think the respect to the pattern of teaching emphasizes the promise of Jesus that whatever the apostles bound on earth would be bound in heaven again. Back to Matthew 18:18. 18, 18. The apostles didn't have authority to set anything up, uh, any kind of organization, or to teach whatever they desired to teach, uh, or had maybe conceived to teach. To be expedient, they were to use the same fidelity that we're talking about here in, in teaching what, what Christ commanded that that, that Christ had had used in declaring what, what God had said. So we come down to the third part of the uh, of the um, prayer, which is verses 20 through 26. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one in them and in you, and in you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so, again, back to the to, to unity. Jesus prayed that they, that they may all be one. All. That they all may be one. All include you and I. Here, here He's praying for us. And, and it doesn't matter what your status is, how, per, how poor you may be, how rich you may be, how uninformed you may be, how whatever level of esteem is that the world has for you, We're still the objects of the prayers of Jesus right here. Um, Here the Lord is praying for us. He's facing death. It's just a matter of, of a few moments or hours away. And He's praying for us. And so here the prayer now reaches out toward the saved for all generations, which includes you and I, of course. And through their word as He spoke. that That isn't just an incidental thought that Jesus had. Um, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in Me through their word. Remember what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 2. Remember the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of the, of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And so these words are equivalent to saying that there is no other way uh, of bringing man to God except through the word of the apostles. And so, here again, unity. The object of the prayer was that all the disciples should be one. uh, And and it was not His will uh, that, that those who serve Him would be divided. That we may all be one. That's a prayer for Christian unity. And, and it's the primary, uh, or the primary desire for Christ's uh, desire for unity is that, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. That's the reason. So, do, does it matter in our evangelistic, evangelistic sort of efforts that the world sees us as being unified? Well, it certainly does. We should see that in the church. Focused people in the world who see unity in the church and, and would be truthful to themselves and to their analysis of what they're seeing can see a, a moral demonstration that Christian, the Christian religion is not of men. It's of God. And and when there's disunity in in the church, that in essence makes the church helpless almost in these these present present times. And so we ought to always yearn for a a peace. And, And what is the model we have for unity? It's Jesus and the Father. That's the perfect model that we have. Well, let's look at verses 24 through 26 and try to get concluded here right quick. Probably going to run out of time. Um, Father, I desire that also whom you gave me may be with me where I am and that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father. We spoke of that earlier, that reference there. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me and I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And so that they may partake of His glory. He prayed that, that they may be there in order that they might behold His glory. Um, and I think this gives proof of, of His eternal nature uh, as, as we see in the statement, you know, you know, before the foundation of the world. Well, I've got a few more things to say. We're out of time, uh, just about to the end here. So, uh, we'll, we'll conclude, um, um, our study. I do want to say this right quick. This is one thing I wanted to mention. And he speaks of love in them and I in them. And it, that persists to the very end of this very sacred prayer that we've been considering here the last couple of weeks. Uh, the, the concept of all spiritual blessings being in Christ. In Christ. Uh, I ran across this. I thought it was pretty interesting that Paul used the expression in Christ uh, or an equivalent to it in him or in whom. Uh, but equivalent to it 169 times in the epistles. To be in Christ is everything with regard to our salvation. Everything. And, and it's clear that the revelation of the plan of salvation formed a part of, of the very purpose that Christ is praying for here. Great prayer, uh, which, which is kind of a final report of His work to the Father. Um, and of course the most important which was to reveal the Father's love and, and to reveal His plan of salvation for, for all of mankind. So we'll, we'll conclude there. It ends here. It, it, it's a prayer that's very simplistic in its style. It's, it's presented, Christ presents it almost in a childlike sort of faith with great humility uh, and, and complete absence of awareness, of weakness, uh, and, and and with unselfishness and with love. Anyway, I appreciate your attention this morning, and so we'll we'll stop our study there, brother Kyle. But next week, and then then Paul will pick up with uh, chapter eighteen in two weeks.